Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. with me if you would please out of respect for the word of God we'll read all 11 verses just to get the context of the chapter and then we'll focus in on verses 1 and 2 after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter and immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Thank you. you may be seated. Of course, Revelation verse, chapter 4, verse 11 uh, is and should be one of our favorite verses in the Bible. It has so much to say, and we get the context in which it's given. Of course, we've been focusing for a number of weeks now on the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor and the message that the Lord Jesus Christ had for His churches. Uh, one of the things that we, we need to do as we read our Bible is it needs to form in our minds a view of history. Uh, if we listen to our Bibles correctly, it'll give us a view of the future and a view of the present. Uh, and as we read, we should have some concept of, uh, of how God has dealt with man, how He's dealing with man. So we get a I guess what I'm trying to say is if we'll study our whole Bible, we can get a bigger picture view of the story of this world, this earth, and what's gone on and what's going on. And the Christian should have a good grasp on how to look at things temporal because we have a heavenly perspective on that. We find John's perspective changing in this chapter. He's going from an earthly scene to a heavenly scene. He's going to take us there with him by recording what he saw um, we'll say there's much that could be said here tonight. We'll say a little bit more about it. But we've been on earth looking at the churches, and those seven churches, and some of them were in pretty, uh, a pretty uh, despicable condition, the last one especially we looked at. And so uh, just by way of reminder, flip back with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 1. 
so we can kind of get us up to date as to what's bringing us into chapter 4. I think we're familiar with that. But Revelation 1.19, we find the outline of the book. What I began to say is, as we go through the Bible, it is important to understand that, man, that the earth has gone through different phases of time, different time frames of, or different what we call dispensations where God has dispensed responsibility to man in different ways based on his dealing with man at that time. And so that is a key. There are people that attack dispensational truth today. I think many of them attack it ignorantly. Right now it seems to be a popular thing to attack. But the idea, and there are those who we would call hyper-dispensationalists, meaning they want to create a dispensation every few pages of the Bible, and that allows certain people to dismiss certain scriptures from applying to them. Be careful not to do that. But the fact of the matter is, is God dealt with man before the fall differently than he did when deal with man after the fall. God dealt with man differently between Genesis. Not, now, the responsibility has always been faith, so don't misunderstand. Man's responsibility is faith, but that faith is manifest in different ways. Man has been given different light at different periods of time. I think when it comes to revelation from God, humanity has more light from God today than we've ever had in the history of mankind. More light, more responsibility. Amen? Uh, but you, you'll find that uh, throughout the Bible, we have different dispensations of time. So I began to say, for instance, prior to the flood, God dealt with mankind according to the fall that had been there. We find Genesis 5, men started dying and men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And then God deals with them by the flood. And after the flood, human government is established. And we come through a period of patriarchs. And then you come into the dispensation of the law of Moses and God raising up the nation of Israel so that through that nation he'll raise up a Savior. We live today in what the Scripture calls the dispensation of the grace of God. God's grace is extended to whosoever will. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17. Ephesians refers to the dispensation. God dispensing his grace to mankind through Jesus Christ. This period of time will come to a conclusion. There will come a time when God says, Okay, you have not responded to my grace. Uh, he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. The Bible says he is, he is holding back his coming out of his long-suffering nature. But there will come a day when the long-suffering comes to an end and God begins to deal with humanity in wrath. There's a shift in how God deals with man and how, based on how man is responding to God. As we come into the book of Revelation, we are transitioning, especially in chapter 4, from the way things are right now, God being gracious and merciful and long-suffering, and then we start looking off into the future, and the, as the book of Revelation unfolds, we're getting a picture of what it's going to look like when God says, okay, now I'm going to deal with you in wrath. And so, uh, so much of the book of Revelation feels dark, but really, it's giving us light. We get to look out in the future and say, hey, that's what's coming, and it helps us to properly prepare. I asked you to be at Revelation 119. I just want to remind us of the outline of the book. Uh, it says, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. We can divide, and we started off, we, when we started the book of Revelation, we dealt with that as the outline of the book. Chapter 1 is the things that John had seen. He'll continue to write things he has seen, but especially, John writes down, these are the things I've seen. So that is what John had seen in the past. Uh, write down the things that thou hast seen and the things which are. So you write down some things in the past, John. That's chapter 1. We come into chapter 2. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things which are. At present tense, he's dealing with the churches. All right? So we'll, you'll hear people refer to the church age. It's not a term you're going to find in the Bible, but it's a concept you'll certainly find in the Bible. There, now God is working in the world through churches. 
For those who abandon church today, they are missing the mind and will of God. God is, God's, Christ's body on earth is the church. But there'll come a day that that's, that's no longer going to be the case. Chapter 4 takes us into that period of time. So the things which are, Revelation 2 and 3, were churches that Christ had established on earth to be pillars and ground of the truth in their given location. He's dealing with those churches as his own in correction and chastisement and rebuke and commendation, all those things we've been dealing with. But in chapter 4, as I said, we transition from the things which are to the things which shall be hereafter. So John's told, here's the way things are. There are seven churches now in Asia, but there's going to come a day where there won't be, and here's how I'm going to deal with the earth. So as we come into chapter 4, let's read verses 1 and 2 again. The Bible says, after this. So we're dealing with order. Remember, God is a God of order. And so we're dealing with order. So the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Those two words after this signify a transition from the things which are to the things which shall be hereafter. We're going to go from present tense to future tense. Now we're not looking at the way things are. We're looking at something off into the future. Could be tomorrow, could be 2,000 years from when he writes it, but it's future tense. Not only is John transitioning from uh, present tense to future, he's transitioning from a physical uh, world surrounding, an earthly surrounding, and an earthly viewpoint to a heavenly one. He's going to transition from seeing things on earth like the church is located in Asia Minor. Now the Bible says he was going to be in the spirit and going to be caught up to heaven. And throughout the book of Revelation, you're going to see John's perspective changing. Your vision will be of what's going on in heaven. And then he's going to take us back down to earth and show us what's going on on earth. And then we're going to go back up to heaven and see what's going on in heaven. I think it's very important for us to remember. Let me just say something generally and broadly that will help you in studying your Bible. From God's perspective, okay, from a heavenly viewpoint, is there really time? Or does God see everything at one time? He's eternal. That's why sometimes in the Bible, you're getting heaven's viewpoint on something. You'll read something in the Old Testament, and you can't tell if he's talking about the first coming or the second coming. Because from God's standpoint, they're right there together. You realize for us, we see a couple thousand years right now since the Lord came the first time, and that's a huge span of time to God. That's nothing. A thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. It's nothing. And it helps us to remember. And as we study our Bible, God says, I want you to come up here and see things from my viewpoint for a few minutes. I want you to get an eternal heavenly viewpoint. Let me ask you this. From an earthly standpoint, are you yet glorified? So salvation deals with salvation. Uh, your salvation is justification, redemption, sanctification, and one day glorification. Help me here. Are you already glorified from a human standpoint? Just look at yourself. And the answer should quickly be no, I'm not. But from God's standpoint, am I glorified? And from God's standpoint, I'm seated in heavenly places. I mean, I said, this is where a lot of Calvinists get in trouble. They try to take a heavenly viewpoint and put it into earthly viewpoint. You get in trouble doing that. I May mean, I ask you this, from an earthly standpoint, a church, local or universal? I don't like the term universal church. There's no such animal, right? I mean, there really is not. There is a spiritual body to which every believer in Jesus Christ belongs. May I ask you something? Is there a universal assembly ever? Can you go to church where every Christian is going to church on a Sunday on earth? No. So from an earthly perspective, church is local. From a heavenly perspective, we're all seated in the heavenlies already together. You, you with me? 
Very important to see there are times the Bible is presenting things from a human perspective. There's other times, let me tell you something, from God's perspective today, I'm sinless. I'm, I mean, I understand God knows when I am in this body and I do not obey that sin. But from a standpoint of position in heaven, I'm, I'm as clean as the driven snow. On earth, I'm not in that glorified body yet. So here we have John's changing viewpoints. He's going from looking at things on earth where there's a lot. How many of us can agree of those seven churches, there were a lot of problems. Once he's in heaven, there's no problems. He's going to be caught up and see a throne. There's no problem on the throne. There's no problem coming out of the throne. There's no problem around the throne. There's no problems in glory. There, is, there are problems here. May I say this? Here's, and, and I don't, this is not our whole message, but if you come in Revelation 2 and 3 and we look at the way things are on earth, it could make it look like the Lord's not on his throne in heaven. You see a church that's lukewarm, it might make you think, where's the Lord at? Well, he was outside the door because there's this little thing on earth called will, human will. And we exercise our will many times against the will of God. That's why we're instructed to pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. By the way, just having said that, one person has come to this earth and done the will on earth of God as it has been and done in heaven, that's Jesus Christ. And we ought to long for that, and that's a longing for heaven, that's a longing for his kingdom. My point is, we're going to be taken from an earthly viewpoint to a heavenly one, from a present tense viewpoint to seeing off into the future. We need to understand that this transition takes place right here. So if you're taking notes and you want an outline, we begin in verse 1 with the sequence. We're going to focus on the sequence here, and that is signified by those words in verse 1, after this. So after getting the message for the seven churches, after recording them, in the seventh church, the message is done. John says, after this, some things changed. I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. The last time John heard a voice as of a trumpet, it was the Lord speaking to him behind him, and he was, the Lord was seen in the midst of those seven golden candlesticks. Uh, the, the Lord's voice is likened to a trumpet there in chapter 1. And here he says it again. So there's a number of things that signify we're shifting, we're changing our focus when we hit chapter 4. So the sequence is seen here in chapter 4, verse 1, the first part. After this, there's a distinction in time by the phrase after this that we've already covered. And then we, we see the door in heaven, which tells us again, John is changing his vantage point. And the Bible says in verse 2, and immediately I was in the spirit. And so he was not bodily taken to heaven, but spiritually he's right there in heaven. He's right there with the Lord, caught up, uh, uh, up into heaven as Paul would have been. Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven. I find something very interesting. Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven and I saw things are not lawful to be uttered. It wasn't lawful because the Lord told him you can't tell about it. Now, John was caught up at the same place, and he gets to tell much about it. There's a portion of Revelation, the Lord says, don't write that. Remember when the thunder sounds, and he says, you can't write that down. Here's what I'm reminded of. Why does God let John write what he saw when he was caught up, but doesn't let Paul write what he saw? This is deep. There it is. Because he's God. He gets to decide, why does Paul not get to go to Asia and Bithynia and has to go to Macedonia and later he preaches in Asia? Because God is God. 
We just must remember sometimes, why did Solomon get to build the temple and not David? We do get some explanation for that. We need to remind tonight, God is God. This is a message that's good to remind us of that because it's going to get our focus on the throne. Christ is on the throne. He is on the throne in heaven. And I believe if we're going to be able to see him properly on the throne in heaven, he must be on the throne in our hearts. And that's where he was with John. John has a clear vision of what's going on in heaven because while John's living on earth, Christ has the place in his heart he's supposed to. Same with Isaiah. This is a very similar text to Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah says, In the king that Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And the parallel between Revelation 4 and Isaiah 6 is very interesting to read if you could compare those two texts together. Both of them bring us to the same conclusion. The Lord is on the throne, and we need to see him as such. Earthly events, and may I just put it this way, the way things are here on earth right now might cause us to be blinded to the way things are in heaven right now, but we ought not let that happen. The way things are, they're a mess in our world, but we must understand when one of the Lord's churches was lukewarm and others are dead, have a name that they're living but are dead, he's no less on the throne. At that very moment, he was on the throne in heaven uh, preparing, as we know, for his return to earth. And so uh, this open door in heaven indicates the change, as I've said, not only from present to future, but in perspective or vantage point from earth to heaven. We would be reminded that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord Jesus says, that he is the one that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man's opens. We know those are earthly doors that are open, but it's he that opens the door to heaven. It is Christ. He said, I am the door. He is the door. I had the, the many analogies to the Lord Jesus Christ just in this text alone. John says, after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The door is Christ, is it not? Then he's going to say there's one sitting on the throne and he describes him like a stone He's like a sardine stone. He's like, a, uh, uh, he is like a, um, as described in verse 3, um, a jasper and a sardine stone. Is Jesus not the stone which the builders rejected? And upon this rock I will build my church? Uh, the, you can't escape the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the text. So the sequence we see in verse 1 uh, by the words, after this, we know we're transitioning. Number 2 the summons that John receives. So we see the sequence of his vision, but the summons he receives. It says, After this uh, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, the next three words, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Again, we're getting a picture of the sequence. So we're shifting. Those are the very same words that were used in Revelation 1.19. So let me just, I'm saying that to say this. When we say Revelation 1.19 outlays uh, an outline for the book, it's not a preacher just pulling something out of his hat saying, I want to be able to outline the book. When we see this in, in Revelation 4.1, it signifies us to go back to Revelation 1.19 and say, ah, oh, now we're going to begin to see what's going to come in the future. And by the way, we believe that it's still future. There are those who believe all this is already, most of it already done, that all this has already been accomplished, that the tribulation already happened, and uh, we don't see that to be consistent with the whole of the Bible. Amen? And uh, I, I, I can't justify that to be the, the consistent with the rest of Scripture. And so these are still prophetic, uh, still to come to pass. The elements have not yet melted with a fervent heat. How many of us know that? That hasn't happened yet. Stars and the moon, the sun have not fallen from heaven. Amen? There's a number of things. And by the way, that's not, I read today someone teaching that the sun and moon and stars falling from heaven was symbolic of the fall of Israel. Not symbolism, it's literal. 
Sun, moon, and stars are going to fall from heaven. A third of the world's water will be turned to blood. And some of the things we'll read about when the plagues are poured out on earth that has not happened was not figurative speech. Those are literal prophecies. And so uh, the summons here. Number one, notice the manner of the summons. And we can't miss the fact that the Lord's voice is likened to a trumpet. We dealt with the whole message on this in time past about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you tonight, we won't turn there for time's sake, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, when we're dealing with the calling up of believers, the Bible says the, the trump will sound. Let me go ahead and read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that the return of Christ and the calling up of saints is associated with the trump of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. And the, con the whole context of 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection of the dead. And then Paul says, I'm going to show you a mystery, something that in time past has not been understood or known by believers, but is now made known to believers with clarity. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, if you want to connect some words, I'm a guy, I like seeing patterns and connecting terms. And so here, when I read in the twinkling of an eye, my mind runs over to Revelation 4, 2, where it says, and immediately. John hears a voice saying, come up hither, and immediately he's in the spirit. Immediately he's right there. It's going to be the same when the trump sounds for us as believers I'm excited about that day because what the best for us, you think about the best day you've ever had on planet earth and it pales in comparison to what it's going to be like to be in the presence of God. I don't think we can even fathom how tremendous and how wonderful, how much peace and joy there is in the presence of God. I, I'm certain we can't fathom it or we'd all want to check out right now. We'd be done with wanting to be here. So the Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's not the batting of an eye, that's the moment it takes the light to hit your eye and twinkle. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I am going to just go ahead and read these. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You're familiar with these texts. But the Bible says uh, in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now this is not a descending all the way to earth, so you can't call this his coming to earth. This is... This is the catching up of the saints. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we uh, ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So John says, I heard a voice. The first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said... Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now the Bible never spells out, Revelation 4.1 is talking absolutely about what we would call the catching up of the saints or the rapture, but you cannot miss the sequence we've talked about. He's been talking about things which are, now we're moving to things which shall be hereafter. And he says, I heard a voice as of a trumpet saying, come up hither, and immediately I was in the spirit. It would seem that John experienced in spirit what we're going to experience the moment that we hear the trump sound. Our, our viewpoint's going to change from earth to heaven, and we're going to be before the throne. It is suggested, not, not absolutely authoritatively taught, that very likely what he's looking at is going to be the, 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 the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not necessarily the great white throne, but he comes before this throne, and immediately he's in heaven. Where's he at? He's at 
the throne. I'll tell you what, we better live ready for the trumpet sound. We better live ready because the first thing we're going to see is our Lord on the throne. And we need to live prepared for that day. I don't think any of us in this room live as prepared as we should. We ought to be mindful that it, think about it. How long do you have to prepare once the trumpet sounds? How much more time do we have to prepare to meet our Savior? So we have to live instant. Do you know why the Lord does it this way? He wants us to live every moment of our lives ready to see him. Every moment, every moment, not taking some time off. This is what it means to walk circumspectly. We're not talking about getting to heaven. We're not talking about being saved. How many of you think John was disappointed in the way he was living when he, when he heard the voice like a trumpet saying, come up hither? I don't. He was on the Isle of Patmos for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and for being obedient. Do you think he thought, oh, no, I wasn't ready for the throne? <laughs> no, I don't think so. He was living ready. Every moment he was living ready. We need to do the same. I think nothing motivates the Christian to live a godly life like the reality that in, a, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be standing before our Lord and giving account for the things we've done as his children. And so the summons, the manner of the summons was like a trumpet. We've seen those other verses. Again, Revelation 1.10, the Bible says, uh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and that's capital S there, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And of course, that was the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see those, the, the manner was like a trumpet. The message, come up hither. Again, this is where we draw the analogy or the comparison to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we'll, we'll meet him in the air, just like John did right here. Uh, the movement, that was immediately. And immediately I was in the spirit. Uh, and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. There was no delay between what he heard and the invitation to come and his entrance through that door. And then the mark, we're going to use that word to say this does mark a change in the book of Revelation. Not until chapter 22, verse 16, will you find the word church again, or churches. Let me read you Revelation 22, verse 16. And by the way, you can search it all the way through and encourage you to do that. Uh, this is a key component of, of our understanding of how to look at the book of Revelation, our understanding of the, the period of time in which we live right now. Revelation twenty two sixteen. as the book comes to a close, the Bible says this, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. So when the book closes, it's still the church age. And these things that he's written to be testified in the churches as it's being done right now. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So when the churches are mentioned, again in Revelation, it's just referencing back to how they were mentioned in the beginning. But as we go through the things which must be hereafter, you will not find mentioned on earth a church. The nation of Israel is mentioned. The 12 tribes are mentioned. Uh, believers in Jesus Christ are mentioned, but there are no churches during this period of time we call the Great Tribulation. What Jesus called the Great Tribulation. There's a reason we believe that churches will not be on earth and God's people, the church, will have been caught away. One of the major reasons is you don't find her in the book of Revelation when the wrath of God is falling on the earth. Church, may I say this to you tonight? We are in a period of time, I, this, is, this is a new experience for me, where there, is a, there are teachings about mid-trib rapture, post-tribulational rapture, amillennialism, and if you're not familiar with those terms, I can help you with that. But the idea of, of, of being a, a popular assault and attack on the belief in a pre-tribulational rapture or the belief in a literal millennial reign is on the rise. Now, we, you, can, you can find somebody that doesn't believe like we do about these things and they're truly a brother or sister in Christ. This is not, this is not what saves you. 
But I will say, your doctrine determines your deeds. <laughs> and if, if you and I, I see a lot of people today that are focusing on the here and now. They're focusing on earthly things. They're focusing on laying up food stores. They're focusing on preparing for uh, you know, the, the walking dead. And some of them say they're Christians. But they are focusing on the way the world is going Instead of living with a blessed hope, they live with a, a dreadful dread. You know, we, we have a blessed hope. Here's, here's the blessed hope. We can wait for the tribulation. Not a very blessed hope. The blessed hope is the return of Christ. And we're charged with, well, if you believe that believers are going to be taken out before the tribulation, it allows people to just be complacent. Well, if you think that you're working your way to heaven, maybe so. But if you know you're going to be saved regardless, I've got news for you. If we got it wrong and the Lord saw fit, if I'm all misunderstanding and wrong on this issue and other brethren who believe the same way and we end up going through part of the tribulation, guess what? I know the Lord has grace for that. And no one's any less saved. You say, are you suggesting it's a wrong view? Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm convinced where I'm at. But I'm just telling you this tonight. There, there are other things attached to those viewpoints that are more dangerous than those viewpoints themselves. May I say this? When it comes to our view of things to come, here's where it gets significant. How we view the past and how we view the future determines how we live today. And one of the things we find today is there's a tremendous lack of a zeal for holy and godly living. And one of the reasons is there has been a loss of emphasis on the imminent return of Jesus Christ. If we're going through half the tribulation, his return is not very imminent. We can start counting down the days. and We can tell you pretty much when he's going to come. I mean, really, if he's three and a half years into the tribulation, when you signify the tribulation has begun and count it down, and you'll have a pretty good idea when he's coming. The fact is, no man knows the day or the hour, and the fact is this, we understand that he's going to come quickly, meaning it's suddenly, and we need to live ready for that. How many of us know John got up on this day and said, today I'm going to be caught up into heaven? No, you're just in the spirit on the Lord's day, doing what you're supposed to be on the Lord's day, communing with God, and God said, come up hither. It'll be the same for us. We need to live ready for that. And so this marks a transition in the book where we'll no longer be dealing with any churches because they're not to be found. And so that is significant. I wouldn't say that alone would be enough to teach you or believe that we are taken out. I think it's that coupled with 1 Thessalonians 4, coupled with 1 Corinthians 15, coupled with uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians and the teachings there about the end of time, that the Lord has saved us from wrath through him that brings us to the position that we're taken out of here as God's people before the wrath comes on earth. And so uh, the summons, that's, that's point number two. And then finally, the scene, number three. If you're taking notes, we saw the sequence. The words after this signify the sequence. The summons come up hither. And then the scene, once he comes up hither, what does he see? And immediately I was in the spirit, verse two, and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Verse three, we're gonna read it for the context. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Studying out that text, there's a, there's a lot in there. And we'll say some about it even just a little bit about verse 3 before we close tonight. But verse 2, the scene we see is the presence of a throne. Um, this is important for us to remember, and I know I say this a lot, but it's very important for us to remember. One of the reasons that reading the book of Revelation is a blessing. You know, I know if I've met people say, I only read the words written in red in the Bible. 
I wouldn't read any of my Bible. I don't have a red letter edition. Mine's all in black. <laughs> what they mean is I only read the words of Jesus Christ as though the words he spoke while in flesh on earth are the only words in the Bible that are from him. Well, you know, there's the Spirit of Christ that spoke in the Old Testament prophets. Well, the Bible says. How many of us know it's Christ speaking through the Apostle Paul, telling Paul, you write this and you write this. And so, but then I've met people and they say, I only read what's written in red. Uh, that's, what, that's what I'm going to focus on. Well, that's a good place to start, but that's not all we should read. And the point would be this. If all we did do is focus on the Gospels, on Jesus' time on earth, would we have a proper perspective of Jesus? No. No. He is not in a manger. He is not walking the streets of Galilee. He is not. Um, he, is, he is in a body of flesh and bones, but he is in a glorified body. How many of us know the body he's in today functions differently than the body he was in before the resurrection. Before the resurrection, he could have walked through a wall, but he didn't. He, 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 retained, his, he retained his deity, but he also limited it so that he would have our experiences. But after the resurrection, he's eating fish in a honeycomb, and then in a body of flesh and bones, just appearing. He's in a glorified form, and here's what we must remember. He is on his throne Today, our vision of Christ need not, and you say, why is this important? This is so important. How many of us understand so much of what is taking place in the so-called Christian culture in our country today, and it is trying to bring Christ down from heaven? The Bible said no man has ascended. Here's what false religion used to do. False religion used to say you can elevate yourself to Christ. Through religion and religious activity, through, through regimented religious conduct, you can make yourself as good as God. And it still does that. But false religion, the Bible says, no man hath ascended nor descended. Only one has done that, and that's the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And so one thing false religion does, it says man can ascend to God. The other thing it does, it brings God down and tries to make him into a man. God did become a man, but no man brought him down. He came down of his own accord. And when we bring Jesus Christ off his throne, when we treat Jesus like when the attitude is this, you hear this is what many times uh, encompasses the wrong attitude about Christ. They'll make this statement, well, Jesus did dine with publicans and sinners. Well, of course he did. But many times that's code for he's just like us. He went, I've heard people say that, for, it's blasphemy. Jesus went to, he went to, he went to parties with the partiers. No, he didn't. He came to call them to repentance. That is bringing Christ down, making him like the buddy down the street. I, again, be a little bit repetitive and redundant tonight, but just, just know this. As a pastor, as a preacher, prior to that, as a Christian, I'm funny about the crowd today that refuses to call the Lord Jesus anything but Jesus. Jesus, me and Jesus. Jesus is, oh, they sing about Jesus like, like they're in a love affair with him. Friend, there's something sacrilegious about that. This is one of the things that's wrong, much wrong with our CCM. Now, that's not ours, but the CCM that's out here today is, is how many of you know what crossover music is? And crossover music is you can sing it to your girlfriend or plug in the name of Jesus and you can sing it at church. That's wrong. 
You know, songs that magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, that magnify his position as being on the throne. Can you imagine John in chapter 4, verse 2 and verse 3, singing some of the garbage we hear sung in our churches today, pawned off as praise and worship? Jesus, 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 you're my friend. Jesus, ah, come on now. I'm not trying to be full of mockery tonight. I'm trying to say there's something wrong with the perspective of the Lord Jesus that says he exists to make me happy. It doesn't say that the, there were those around the throne calling and crying out, happy, happy, happy. It's holy, holy, holy. God is still God. And Jesus Christ coming to earth and becoming a man and raising from the dead did not change the character of God. It was accomplished to change the character of men. And we need to get that clear in our hearts and minds. And Revelation can help us accomplish that to help us have a proper view as we live in a world filled with lukewarm churches that have Jesus Christ on the outside. Isn't that a sad thing? On earth, he was outside the door of his church, but he's on the throne in heaven. And that's where he ought to be in our hearts and our minds. And may God give us a fresh glimpse. By the way, if you're in the spirit, as John was on this day, guess how you're going to see Christ? On his throne. In the spirit, he's on the throne. Remember what John, the Lord said the Holy Spirit would come to do? He would come to speak of the things of Christ. He would glorify Christ. And so the person says, I'm walking in the spirit, but has a low view of Jesus Christ. Something's out of kilter. And so the scene we find is there is a throne, the presence of a throne, but there is a person, capital P, on the throne. I say capital P, that's what's in my outline. Capital P, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. It's not an empty throne. There's one sitting there. The rest of the chapter is given to describing the scene, the one on the throne, what's going on before the throne, behind the throne, around the throne. All, what's the, the thunders and the lightnings coming from the throne. Uh, the, the commentator, John Phillips, who's so adept with the word of God and describing different things out of the Bible, he said when, we, when we're taken into this scene, we hear terms such as beasts and we hear terms such as thrones, but it's like walking into a foreign culture. We hear terms we understand, but we're taken into here. This is, this is all foreign to us. We've never seen anything like this. So there's a bit of a, ah, and I think that's to put some awe and reverence in our hearts for our God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. We have so many foolish people today in church and out of church because the fear of the Lord is so deficient. We've lost a proper attitude about who he is. May God help us to have this attitude right here. Isn't this amazing? The man writing this is the same one who at supper time leaned over on the Lord's bosom and something like this, Lord, who is he that betrayeth thee? I don't think he's doing that anymore. In Revelation 1, he's on his face and Jesus having to touch him and say, fear not. It's the same, same Jesus, but not. He's glorified and on his throne today. Same Christ, but what happened in humanity, all of that was concealed inside of his humanity so that we can come to him. He came to be a mediator, and I'm glad he did. But the fact of the matter is, the person on the throne is Christ. As I said, the rest of the chapter is going to describe him, it'll describe him as a stone, uh, a jasper, and a sardine stone. He's going to describe a rainbow that's like an emerald. Every rainbow I ever saw was seven different colors, except for the perverted one that we have in our country today. It's only six colors. Well, different story for a different time. But this one is like an emerald. The, the prevailing color is, 
emerald green. And so I find that interesting. It's going to talk about the four and twenty elders that are seated around the throne with gold crowns on their head. And then it's going to talk about four beasts who have six wings apiece and seven flames, which are the Spirit of God. Some interesting things described here, and they certainly have significance. I'm going to give you one tidbit from verse 3 that just I, I found very exciting and interesting today. Uh, and, and I didn't find this on my own. Another author pointed this out, but I think it's so, so interesting in verse 3. And he that was to look upon, uh, and he that sat, was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. If you were to go to Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 through 20, you'd read about the high priest, and he was to have uh, a breastplate. How many of you are familiar with the breastplate of the high priest? On that breastplate, there were 12 stones. The first stone was the sardius, or the sardine stone. The last stone was the jasper. So the first and last stones on the breastplate of the priest are mentioned here in connection to Jesus Christ. We understand those 12 tribes were laid on the breastplate of the high priest to keep the nation of Israel near his heart as he ministered to them on behalf of God. Can we not see how God takes the Old Testament, pulls it right over here and say all of that, that sardin stone and that jasper stone were not about beautiful stones hanging on the chest of a man. They were speaking of a man who was to come, Jesus Christ. One God and one mediator between God and, man, and the man Christ Jesus. Remember what Jesus is? He's the first and the... The last, he's that first stone, he's that last stone. He is the fulfillment of the high priest's position. That is Jesus Christ. Came and died first for his own people, the 12 tribes of Israel, which will be mentioned later. I'm telling you, you see stuff like this, you have to say, there's no way this book was written by men. I mean, it was penned by men. There's no man intelligent enough to write such an interwoven book of wisdom other than the very finger of God through men. What a wonderful book we have because of a wonderful Savior who gave it to us. Amen. I don't know about you. I love the Bible. It is rich, 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 and it all points to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll end that there for tonight. As we have seen the scene in heaven open up, the Lord Jesus Christ on his throne like a jasper and a sardine stone. 